So the film starts with Moana and the island that she's living on in Hawaii is beginning to decay, the, the um, harvest is failing and so they try and sort the harvest out but nothing seems to sort the harvest out. The fishermen go out to fish and the fish are dying, the fish are depleting, there's not enough fish. And Moana, the princess and the king, have no solutions. They have no idea, how do you stop the decay? How do you stop our island crumbling? Our whole life is disintegrating. Then Moana says, I need to go on a hero's journey. Moana takes the initiative to go on a rescue mission. And she decides that if I go and find the demigod, Maoli, Maoli will be able to rescue us if I go and look for him. So in the very first clip, we find she's landed on this island, and this is where she has her first encounter with this, this demigod called Mali. So she's gone on this journey then, because her island is decaying, to find this demigod Mali, who she needs to rescue them and to bring the stone back. But what she finds in that is that actually this God that they look to, this God that they worship, this God that they have expectation of, is actually a self-serving God. That all his acts, everything he did, whether it was to give the wind, or to create islands, or to give the sun, or, or to give them water or food, everything he did was for himself. You're welcome, thank you. It's all about me. I know you're in awe of this demigod. He says, look at my hair, look at my body. It's all about his own need to be loved, to have adulation. And he actually lives off the thanks of people. He lives off the praises of people. And in the clip we're going to see in a moment, his moods and his emotional state are absolutely dependent upon people. If people fed him thanks and praise and trust... He feels good about himself. If people are not feeding him those things, he doubts himself, he becomes despondent, he withdraws, he becomes uh, not faithful, he becomes moody, he becomes unavailable, and he becomes distant. She actually has to build him up. He's lost his confidence, he's lost his ability, and in this scene, we're going to see her try and be pastoral to the demigod. He needs lifting up, he needs rescuing, he needs saving, he needs a saviour, and the saviour for the demigod is a person. This demigod then, his whole emotional state is completely dependent on people's response. And she says there, you gave them everything. And she says, you gave them everything they ever wanted so that they would love you, but it was never enough. There's a sense in the movie that there's a phrase called enmeshment, where, it's where one person's emotional state is completely linked to another person's emotional state. They're enmeshed. And this demigod is enmeshed with the people. He's meant to be serving. So if it all goes well, he feels good. If the response isn't good, he feels bad. If the people respond with thank you, thank you, thank you, and appreciate, he feels good about himself. If they don't respond with appreciation and thanks, then he feels bad about himself. It's, an, it's a sense in which the emotional state of the God in the film is completely linked 
to whether or not the God is receiving adulation and praise and sacrifice from the people. So if the people are sacrificing, trusting, thanking, he says you're welcome, you're welcome. If they're not doing that, he goes down, becomes melancholic and despondent and despairing. If he feels he's doing really well and is victorious, he feels he can take on anything. If he doesn't feel that, he needs the people to lift him back up. The God needs a rescuer. The God is enmeshed with the emotional response of the people. Some of us can fall into this kind of idea in our relationship with Jesus. And actually our relationship can become strange and dysfunctional with Jesus if we believe that Jesus is saying this, I'll take care of your life, but first take care of mine. Yeah, I'll look after you, I'll protect you, I'll provide for you, only if you first take care of my life. Only if you first meet my needs. Has anybody ever had the thought, oh, Will God look after me today? I didn't get a chance to pray. Has anybody thought that? Has anybody thought, oh, um, I'm about to share the gospel with somebody and what goes through your mind is, oh, I've had a good week, so God will back me up. (laughs) Or I've had a bad week, he's going to leave me hanging high and dry and won't back me up. Or it's been a good week in my prayer or worship or giving or whatever else. Now I know that Jesus feels that his world is taken care of. Now he'll take care of my world. That's the picture in that movie. That's what idols are like. And we can sometimes present Jesus in our own mind through the lens of he's a moody kind of God. And if you don't build him up, he withdraws, he won't back off, he'll become unavailable unless I perform in a way that pleases him and does what he wants. The reality is the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit are in perfect community, perfect unity and that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit don't actually need anything from people in order for them to be full of joy, full of hope, full of peace, full of faithfulness, full of compassion. They always are who they are and they are fully satisfied by one another. So that it means that when we come to them, they are always available to satisfy and to meet us and always willing to because their community needs are being completely satisfied within the Trinity. And it's actually generosity that opens up love and obedience in a circle of love with God. It's actually generosity that welcomes us in to enjoy him and to know him and to trust him rather than meet a need that he hasn't had met. So Maui is like a barrel of water. 
that you have to bring your cup to him and top him up. Got to bring my thanks for the mountains. Got to bring my thanks for the sky, for the for, for the sun, for the coconuts. If I fill him up enough, he might overflow and refresh me. If I don't fill him up, he's empty. God the Father, God the Son are not like that. They are more a self-replenishing spring. You don't top God up. You don't come with your cup saying, "Um, I've read my Bible, God. Pour that out. I've shared the gospel with ten people. Pour that out. Or I brought my money. I'm going to pour that out. Or I've done, I've worshipped you. Pouring that out. Now you are topped up. Will you meet my needs? He says, actually, you don't understand. I don't need you to top me up. I'm a self-replenishing, self-filling, crystal clear spring that comes out of the relationship of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. The way you honour me is you get on your knees and you drink. There's not a sense in that in this movie at all. The, the, The person has to come, the person has to come and top up Maui. The person has to come and lift his emotional state because he's moody or sad or doesn't feel valued. And when he feels built up, then he feels courageous, then he can be a rescuer. That's not who Jesus is. When the father looked at the world and saw the devastation caused by sin, when the father looked at the world and and saw the brokenness caused by sin, the brokenness between men and women, the brokenness between people and God, he did not wait for a human being to get the courage and go on a hero's journey. God the father did not wait for a person to wake up and think, the world's in trouble, I'm going to go and find God. I'm not. He didn't wait for somebody to go on a pilgrimage to find him. Somebody who cared enough. Rather, it says in John 3.16, God so loved the world that he sent Jesus, the Son of God, to go on a hero's journey to find us. He takes the initiative. He goes out. He becomes what he was not. Becomes the God-man. Fully God, fully man. Comes to find us. Comes to our island. Comes looking for us in all of our brokenness and dysfunction and, 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 and troubled hearts caused by sin. He doesn't wait for somebody, some Moana, to wake up and say, I'm going to be a hero. I'm going to find God. God comes looking for you. God comes looking for you. He comes after you. He's the great initiator. He's the one who comes looking. He's the one who comes on the hero's journey to your heart. In that sense, there are none who are seeking God. God is the seeker of men and he is the seeker of women. He's the great initiator. So if you've got a Bible, if you look in Matthew 20, 28, Jesus talks about his heart and what he had come to do. In Matthew 20, 28, he says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, to give his life to bring us home, to give his life to deal with sin, to give his life to deal with separation. He didn't come to be served. And some of you have come from worlds where you serve the idols. Literally. 
that may think that's not too far from how we saw the world. There's an idol who's angry, who needs pleasing, needs sacrificing to, needs my obedience to make him happy so he'll bless my family, needs me to do things, go on pilgrimages, give certain amounts of money, be sacrificial. And Jesus says, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. So when Jesus walks the earth and walked the earth, he healed the sick. He set the captive free. He released the prisoner. He opened blind eyes. He opened deaf ears. He caused the lame to walk. Not because he needed people to sing a song of thank you so that he could sing a song of your welcome. He wasn't looking for worship. He wasn't looking for adoration. He wasn't doing things because inside himself there was a broken spot where he felt within himself some sense of inadequacy or brokenness or enmeshment. That if the people respond to me, I feel good. And if they don't respond to me, I feel bad. Jesus was courageous and is courageous. He was able to just say the truth as it is. And if people walked away from him, you don't find Jesus running after them and saying, I didn't really mean eat my flesh and drink my blood. It was just a metaphor. It was just a point into the cross. Rather, he says, if you want to walk away, I'm not chasing after you. I don't need the glory that comes from man. I know who I am. I've got an identity with the Father. And so he's never looking to have something met within himself. He never demanded worship. He functions independent in that sense of how people responded to him. And then he says, I choose you. He says, I make a decision. I choose you. Before there's any movement on the heart of the people to choose him back. He says, on my side of the deal, I choose you. On my side of the deal, I want you. On my side of the deal, I want to be friends with you. I choose you. Now, you get to choose, do you want to choose me back? But he doesn't manipulate and he doesn't control and he doesn't say there's some enmeshment. If you don't choose me back, I don't feel good as Jesus. And I, I feel this is a wasted trip. And the Father sent me to so love the world. And everybody's gone. And then you, please stay with me, Peter. <laughs> Disciples, please. Because I don't know what I'll do if you go. It'll be a real failure. <laughs> now he says to them in Gethsemane, couldn't you have prayed one more moment? But he's, he's saying, no, I'm doing this, Father, because the joy set before me. I'm not doing this to, to, to try and uh, get something from them that I haven't got already. I'm doing this out of generosity and kindness. That's how everything in the kingdom works. You're not topping Jesus up with your Bible reading. You're not topping Jesus up with your worship. You're not topping Jesus up with your sharing the good news. You're not sh- topping Jesus up I'm putting a smile in his face with your giving. He's already got a big, big smile. Freedom from performance comes when you realise the Father is always smiling at you. And so why do we do these things? Because we don't know he's smiling. Jesus said, come to me all you who are weary. Come to me if you're thirsty and I'll give you rivers of living water. We are the thirsty ones. We are the broken ones. We're the ones who need topping up. 
We're the ones who need a saviour. We're the one who needs a rescuer. We're the ones who need a friend who sticks closer than a brother. We're the ones who need a father who will carry our burdens for us. We're the ones who need love that's unconditional. We're the ones who need the cry, Abba, Father. We're the ones who need perfect love to cast out fear. He invites us into his perfection, into his sufficiency, into his more than enough and says, you're thirsty? Well, read the book and I'll make it come alive to you by the Holy Spirit. I'll cause this book to come alive. I'll cause this to become living water to you. I'll cause its words to become like honey. You, you want to know joy? Well, trust me. Trust me because I'm trustworthy. Not because I get despondent if you don't trust me and I feel bad about myself. I've got no need that you meet. I'm the one who meets your needs. I'm the one who meets every longing that you have. Trust me. Because you need to, because you can't do this as an orphan. Self-protecting, self-providing. Trying to get your own identity from what you do. You need it to come from me. Everything in the kingdom is the joy of intimacy and connection. Whereas we as human beings step into a circle of love and find that the Trinity wants to love us. That the Holy Spirit wants to comfort us. That that the Father wants to provide for us, wants to protect us, wants to give us an identity. That Jesus wants to be a friend who sticks closer than a brother. We have the need... I just want to finish on that thought. Just cast aside the lie that Jesus is moody. That Jesus is somehow enmeshed to your response to him. That you top up Jesus in any way. That he is so generous and so kind. He has what you need. And so we pray. We worship. We enjoy community in the church we love his word because we are those who need bread and we are those who need living water he has what we need you always live in the smile of God always love hopes all things he's the God of all hope he never ever feels hopeless about you he's always got a smile on his face He knows if you need to hear something 37 times, on the 37th time you hear it, you'll get it. He does not despair on time number 17. Because he knows on time number 20, he's getting it. She's getting it. We're on track. We're doing this together. It's all all alright. He doesn't despair. He doesn't become hopeless. He doesn't become uh, disappointed. He's always smiling at you. He's always pleased with you. He always says, come on into the throne of grace. When you need grace and when you need mercy, not to top me up, I'm (laughs) alright. I'm okay. I'm not like Marley. There is such a thing with me as a free lunch. (laughs) But if you want to be, have your first quench, if you want to be satisfied, I choose you. That's a done deal. I'm choosing you every day and nothing's going to stop me choosing you. The only question really is, Will you choose me? So God, we thank you. We thank you so much that we live in the smile of God. We thank you that there's no place for superstition in the relationship with God. That superstition is totally alien to the gospel. 
We thank you that we're always those who are loved. We're always those who are protected. You are always good. You are always faithful. You are not moody. You are always available. You are never distant or disinterested or despondent and needing lifting up. You are always the God who is full of joy, full of compassion, full of mercy all the time. So we pray that God, our relationship with you would be really beautifully liberated and, and like a real dance of joy and that all heaviness, even right now, of our relationship will be broken and that performance mindsets would be broken off right now. We are not performing for you. So I just pray that in your name, Jesus, that no performance, no trying to build up God, you build us up. Amen.